very unscientific survey. And by a show of hands, how many of you got one of those super awesome uh, decoder rings in the cereal box as a kid? Just a, just a few. By another show of hands, how many of you wanted one of those super cool decoder rings in the mail or in the cereal box? Uh, but as a kid, I always thought it would, would, it would have been one of the coolest things to have this, this decoder ring. And uh, my family always bought the cereal where you had to mail in your information to get it. And even as a kid, I don't know why, but I just felt that I couldn't do that because I didn't want my information getting out there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, to be honest, if you were to look at the, the code on the cereal box, you could probably make it out if you squinted really hard and kind of focused. Unless maybe you're colorblind, then you do need that decoder ring. Uh, <clears throat> but even as a nine-year-old, the conspiracy theorist in me was thinking that there wasn't just secret messages on cereal boxes. I was thinking that there were secret messages in books. And so I wanted this decoder ring so I could figure out what these secret messages were in books. <laughs> and uh, I even thought there were secret messages on TV. And I just had to figure out the code, figure out how to get that message out of there. I even started thinking that there were secret messages in, in nature. Like if the clouds aligned, there was a secret code, and I needed that decoder ring to figure it out. It's, I'm just a weird nine-year-old. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But honestly, what I kind of have this thought that if I got this ring, if I could figure out what life, the hidden messages in life, then I'd be able to be happy then I'd be able to be fulfilled. And I think it's interesting that we tend to approach the Christian faith in a similar fashion. We think that if we were able to get this decoder ring to figure out our faith, then we would know what we're supposed to do. Then we would know what, what God wants us to do. And then, once we figured that out, then we can be happy. Then we can be fulfilled. And I think... A lot of times we tend to ask this question and it, or it manifests itself in this, in this way, like, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And for those of us who've been in the church long, we ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Or we ask the question, where does God want me to be? And these are good questions. We should ask these questions. But I think sometimes we go even a step further with them. We ask the question, um, or we don't even ask the question, we just get worried if we're not feeling like we're in God's will. We're getting anxiety. I know I have, just if we're feeling that we're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not being where God wants us to be. And so we feel that we want to be in God's blessing. We want God to be happy with us. We want God to be with us. We want God to be for us. And so this is why we're asking these questions. And we ask questions like, should I take this job? Or this job? Does God want me to, to work here? Does God want me to work here? Does God want me to move across the city? Or does God want me to move across the country? Does God want me even to move to a different country? And these are, again, good questions. But, you know, we even stress about what school should I go to as we're in high school. And then after we graduate high school, we go to college. And then we ask, what graduate school do we go to? And for some of us, maybe what, uh, what doctorate should we pursue? Maybe not a whole lot of us here. But we ask those questions. Where should I go to school? What should I do? Or we ask the question if we've 
if we're older in life, should I go back to school? Should I go back to work? We're asking these questions. Or for some of us, we ask the question, does God want me to be a stay-at-home parent? Does God want me to public school my kids, private school, or homeschool my kids? We ask these questions. And so we ask these questions in part because I think we don't want to screw our life up. We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to, we don't want to fail. We want God's blessings. We want God to be with us in our decisions. And honestly, while these questions are good, sometimes they pull our focus off of what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes they, they, they distract us from who God is and God's faithfulness in his life. And so let me just say that God is more interested in us knowing him than us working for him. And so sometimes we lose sight of that truth. And we allow our fear, our insecurity, our doubts, and our worry to drive our faith. And so in doing this, we think that God's not for us. This is where we find a similar connection to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. You see, Gideon was struggling with those same things. He was struggling with, what does God want me to do? He was struggling with his doubts, his fears, his insecurities. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Judges 6, or you can find the story on the screen behind me. But like many of us, Gideon was at a crossroads in his life. He wants to follow God. He's really not sure how that's going to play out. And so we've been studying Judges for the last few weeks, and we found multiple unexpected heroes throughout the book, where God sees his people being oppressed, that they are being in sin, and God raises an unexpected deliverer to save them. Last week, Pastor Kevin introduced us to the person of Gideon. Just a quick review, Israel has fallen into sin again. That's not a shocker. <laughs> but what God does is he gives them over to Midianites, the Amalekites, people of the east. And what we see is they're not native to the land of Canaan. So this is the first time it's an outside force conquering them. And we've seen for the past seven years that they come in, they raid the, 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 the produce, they, they eat it, they devour it, and they leave the people of Israel hungry. And they push them into hills, into dens, and so they're not living in their homes. They're not, doing the, they're not being the people that God has wanted them to be. And so with Gideon, we see that throughout chapter 6, he's wrestling with, with God. He's wrestling with who God is. He's wrestling with what does God, is, is God faithful and so he doesn't necessarily believe that God is with him. And so this is where we find our story. And so first we see in verse 33, it says this, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. See, this is year eight. And this is no shocker that they are coming again. The, the land is ready to be harvested, and they are coming to eat the land. Already we told that Israel has been given over to the people. And so this is an unstoppable, unstoppable force. They're coming to dwell in the land. And no surprise, they're coming again. So this is important that God is setting the stage to deliver his people from oppression. This is, how, this is the setting. And so look at verse 34. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded 
the trumpet, and the Abazarites who were, uh, were called out to follow him. Do you remember last week how Pastor Kevin said that God doesn't call the bold, he emboldens the called? He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called? He doesn't call the brave, he makes brave the called. And so this is a good example of Gideon not, or God not only calling Gideon, but God empowering Gideon, God equipping Gideon for ministry. More importantly, this is proving that God is with Gideon, that he's not leaving, leaving Gideon to figure things out. God didn't just like show up to him and say, hey, Gideon, you're going to deliver my people by, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver my people by your hand and, you know, peace. You have to figure things out. But the Spirit of the Lord coming on Gideon is a way for Gideon to know that God is with him. God is for him. God is, God is, his, God is in, his, in his camp. And so what we see here is that the Spirit of God came on Gideon. There's nothing special about Gideon. Gideon's not asking for this. Gideon is not uh, seeking it for himself, but the Lord equips him because he knows that Gideon is a man of fear. We saw last week that Gideon has a lot of fear in his faith. And God is recognizing that and God is equipping him and empowering him. And so the Holy Spirit empowers Gideon to rally the neighboring tribes to all come together and then he rallies about 30,000 people that we're going to see next week. And so the Lord is, is working through this and so the Holy Spirit is giving Gideon a supernatural ability to lead, a supernatural ability to, to bring people, a supernatural ability to, to have courage. And so people are drawn to Gideon because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And now it is important to note that the Holy Spirit came once for this moment and then left him. And it's important for us to see that the Holy Spirit comes on us and equips us through faith in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just come on us once. But the Holy Spirit indwells us at the point of ministry. And we have the Holy Spirit power residing in us. And so through the Holy Spirit, we are able to accomplish far more than we could do on our own. And this is what we see in the, with the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing. And so with Gideon... Holy Spirit filling was temporary. With us, the Holy Spirit is permanent. And that is, that is hope. That is good news for us. But ultimately, God is, is empowering Gideon to show that he is with him. Now we have the stage set for battle. Gideon is the leader. He's the mighty man of valor that we hopefully see. He's got an army behind him. The stage is set for him to deliver his people. And we expect the next portion to talk about Gideon's fight. We expect to see uh, Gideon stand up and become that mighty, man, that mighty man of valor. But the text takes an unexpected turn. See, the narrator shows us that Gideon still has doubts. The narrator shows us that Gideon is still a man of fear. And so what we see is that Gideon doesn't just doubt that God is able to do this. God, or Gideon is doubting God's faithfulness. Gideon is doubting that God is with him. He doesn't believe that God is with him. But look what happens in verse 36. It says, Then Gideon said to God, 
If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now we find something interesting. Uh, I found something interesting when I was prepping. I read multiple commentaries this week, and I have found people either really love Gideon or they really don't like him. There are strong opinions on this man. You can pick up three different commentaries, and there are some guys that are like, Gideon is the best. Look at Gideon. Look at his faith. Look at how awesome he is. Look at how, these, how we should emulate what he's doing. And then you pick up another commentary, and it says, Gideon is prideful. Gideon is selfish. Gideon is sinful. Just ignore everything that he's doing. And so it's interesting that there's just strong opinions. Even our Sunday school curriculum paints Gideon as this huge hero. Like, yes, Gideon is doing something really good. And so uh, there is a lot to commend, commend Gideon for. He knows what God wants him to do. He there's some kind of obedience. There's some kind of faith. And then on the other hand, there are some things that we should reject with Gideon. But ultimately, God is using this passage to show us not necessarily about Gideon, but about himself. We'll talk about that more later. But as we look at this, we need to understand why God listened to Gideon. We need to understand how God interacts with his children, how he loves us. How he, how, what he, how he sees us, how we interact with him. But we also see kind of how we can determine what God's will is. So it's, it's interesting. This is, an, this is an ambiguous passage. And so here's what we can learn from this, that God responds to us when we come to him in faith. So Gideon rightly understood what God was calling him to do. As we... As we can go back to that verse, we can see that he's saying twice, as you have said. He knows that God is calling him to deliver his people. And so he also rightly understands the gravity of the situation. He has 30,000 men who are untrained, who are possibly fearful of this big army, and so he's bringing his concerns to God, and that is good. And so... um, so with him, he is displaying some level of faith. He's displaying some level of belief in God, and that is good. And so even the author of Hebrews says this. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Gideon is demonstrating his faith as he's bringing his concerns to God. He's bringing his concerns, he's bringing his doubts, and he's having God address his specific areas of doubt. And that's good hope for us where we struggle with doubts also. And so he's wanting to make sure that God is trustworthy, that God is not some supernatural force like the gods of of the Canaanites. But this passage also teaches us that we cannot allow our fears, our doubts, and our insecurities to run our faith. And so Gideon, in this passage, he allows his doubts and his fears to run his faith. Look at what he says. In, in the, he says, if you will save Israel, let me test you just once more with the fleece. He's testing God. 
not just once, but twice, back-to-back nights. First, he wants the fleece covered in water, covered in dew. And then the next night, he wants the fleece completely dry and the ground wet. And so he's testing God back-to-back nights. And so he is allowing his doubts. And he's basically saying, if you will save Israel, you will do this miracle for me. You will prove that you are with me. And so, again, Gideon doesn't believe that God is faithful. Gideon doesn't believe that God is with him. He doubts that. We see his doubts uh, throughout chapter 6. God, he questions God on everything. If you are so good, why are my people in bondage? <laughs> he throws out all of these questions, and he even he questions God's decision in making Gideon a leader. He says, I'm a nobody. I'm the weakest person of the weakest tribe. Don't call me. Go call, call, call someone from Judah. And so he's basically saying, I'm not good enough. He's allowing his fears, his doubts. And so I need to say this, that it's not a sin for us to have fears. It's not a sin for us to have insecurities, to have doubts about our faith, about God and his plan and, and his plan for us. What matters is how we deal with them. And so looking at this, Gideon had fears because of, his, because of the oppressors. Now Gideon's faith is costing him something. Possibly his life. Possibly his reputation. And Gideon is just doubting that God is with him. For many of us, like Gideon, we can let our fears, we can let our doubts, we can let our insecurities drive our faith. And so we say things like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough to lead a Bible study. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not educated enough. We could just throw all of these things out. And so we are allowing our insecurities to not step up to what God is calling us. But here's the a beautiful thing about all of this is that God's will for our fears is to rest them in him. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We could change some of that out and say, Come to me, all who aren't good enough, all who aren't smart enough, all who aren't disciplined enough, all who aren't rich enough, and I will give you rest. And so God, Jesus is is inviting us to come and to rest in him. And so we need to be reminded that God desires that we rest our fears, our insecurities, our finances, our doubts, our worries, our troubles in him because he can do wonderful things through our brokenness. It doesn't necessarily mean that life is always going to be easy when we do this. But when we do this, we are able to see God's faithfulness working and moving in our lives. And so, uh, just like Gideon, God graciously listens to us because he desires for us to know him. He desires for, his, his, for us to know him, to love him. So God requires us to let go of control, to let go of, of, what's, of our fears, and to know that we need to know him, that we need to grow in our relationship with him. And so through this story, God is teaching us that he wants us to know him. 
And by knowing him, we are able to know his will. And so as we approach different parts of the Bible, we need to understand that there are parts of the Bible that are descriptive, meaning that it just describes and tells us what's happening. And then there are parts of the Bible that are prescriptive, where the Bible tells us what to do or what not to do. And so as we approach the Gideon's fleece, it falls under the category of descriptive, meaning this is not how we approach God. This is not how we understand what God's will is for us. So in some ways, the story teaches us how not to determine what God's will is. And so it's interesting. Many Christians take this passage to mean uh, how we can determine what God's will is. And so they even have a saying, throw your fleece out and you'll be able to know what God's will is for your life at a moment. And uh, all we have to do is just throw a fleece out. We can know for certain what God wants us to do. And this is how we do it. And so Gideon is the example. He uses a terrible method to prove that God is with them, prove God's faithfulness. Now, how do we know this isn't a good method? Simply because Gideon himself knows he's putting the Lord to the test. He acknowledges what he's doing is wrong. He says, let not your anger burn against me. He knows it's wrong because this is what it says in Deuteronomy 6. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then even Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. He is looking for a sign to determine God's faithfulness. He's looking for a sign. And so what we do today, it's kind of like we grab our Bible, treat it kind of like an eight ball, and we shake it up. We ask our question and say, where should I move? And then we open up the Bible put a finger down, and then it, it, maybe the verse says, as far as the east is from the west, and then we take it to mean, okay, the Lord wants me to move to the north. <laughs> That's, I, I, I did that one time in high school, and <laughs> it didn't turn out that, that nicely. I, I think I was asking, where should I go to college? Shook up my Bible, opened it up, and then it said something about Solomon had 1,000 wives, and I was like, That's not helpful. But this is, this is what we do. We ask for a sign. Or if we're looking for a job and we have multiple job offers out and we say, okay, Lord, uh, if I don't get a call from this job by 11 o'clock today, then I know that you don't want me there. So what do we do when they call us at 11.03? We've already, this, is how we, this is how we throw out a fleece. This is how we test God's will. And let me say, this is... This is wrong. This is not how God wants us to come to him. See, the problem with throwing out a fleece is that it's rooted in unbelief. And so we, are, we don't believe who God is. We don't believe what God is doing. And so we throw out a fleece to say, this is how we will know what God's will is. And so we should not emulate what Gideon is doing in determining God's will. So... Since we know how not to determine God's will, how do we determine what God's will is for my life? And so I kind of looked at it as the three most simple ways to determine God's will. And we could add more to this, uh, but this is just, these are the three most simple ways. And honestly, if you are growing, if you are working in these ways, and not just determining what God's will is, you will be growing in your relationship with God. And so they are not just ways for us to determine what God's will is, but they're also ways for us to grow in our faith. And the first one is prayer. And so almost 
every single book of the Bible mentions prayer. I think all but two. I know Esther does not mention prayer. And so all, almost every single book of the Bible talks about prayer, talks about the importance of prayer, talks about how we pray. And so prayer is central to the Christian life. If we are not praying, we are not growing in our relationship with God, and we cannot necessarily determine what God's will is for our lives. And so prayer is is fundamental to our faith. And just look at what James says in James 1. It says, if we lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So there's a promise that if we lack wisdom, we can gain wisdom through prayer. There's so many promises of prayer throughout all of the Bible that, that, that talks about just the fundamental level of what it does for us. And so to grow and to understand what God's will is, we need to be people who pray. The second way that we can determine God's will is simply reading the Bible. And the Bible truly does have an answer for every human experience. No, the Bible does not tell you how to fix your Honda Civic. But the Bible does tell you how to order your life, does tell you how to work in your life. And so just look what the psalmist says. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible guides us into truth and raises the question, what is truth? And as we've seen already here at Restoration, truth is Jesus Christ. Reading the Bible lets us know who God is. The Bible is not written so that we can be moral, good people. The Bible is written so that we can know who God is. And so the third way that we can determine what God's will is is by seeking godly counsel. Now, it doesn't mean that we find peers of similar age, similar life experience, and I'm going to point out you, high school boys, uh, this doesn't mean that you find other 16-year-old boys and you ask for dating advice. But it means that you find, if you're looking at dating advice, means that you find an older couple, a couple who's been married for decades, and ask them about dating. Ask them about marriage. Ask them a certain dif- different questions. Ask them about what they see in your life. And so you are inviting people to speak into your life. You are inviting people to bring godly wisdom who love Jesus. And Proverbs tells us this. He says, listen to advice and accept instruction. The Bible has way more to talk about godly counsel, but just at a simple level, inviting people to speak into our lives. I see you gifted in this way. Have you thought about leading a Bible study? I've seen you gifted in this way. Have you thought about working with the homeless? So allowing people to see giftings or talking to people, and this is a good way to determine what God's will But determining God's will should be rooted in knowing who God is, not necessarily what God wants me to do. So now we're at the heart of the passage, the heart of the Christian faith, and that God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his faithfulness and trust that he is capable of moving and acting in our lives. You see, for Gideon, God used this flea story to prove himself faithful. God wants us to know who he is. Like a good father, God is approachable to us. He invites us in to talk to him. And I love the fact that my son can come to me and he can rattle off about dinosaurs and Legos 
and how appropriate it is for me to listen to him, to receive him. And this is what God wants. He wants us to approach him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to see that he is our father. And so God uses this flea story to drive us for our need for Jesus. And what we see is that Christ proves God's faithfulness. There's a lot of dissimilarities that we have with Gideon. Gideon did not have the entire New Testament. Gideon did not know who Jesus is. And for us, on this side of history, we can look back and we can say that God loves his people. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know what his faithfulness is in our lives. And it's crazy to think that God has been working in all of our lives differently, orchestrating events, putting people in our lives, and just downright providing miracles for us that we can't explain apart from the fact that God loves us. And so through the cross, God demonstrates that he's always proving himself faithful, that he cares for us, that he's seeing things through to the end. Just even think about the fact that Paul tells us in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This doesn't mean that Christ died for us after we got our life figured out, but Christ died for us while we were still broken, while we are still hurting, while we are still sinners. And then Paul also says that the good work that Christ began in us, he will see it through to completion. God has not abandoned us. And in knowing that God is with us, we know that God is for us. And so for Gideon and for ourselves, we need to be reminded that God is with us. That God is not forsaking us. That God calls us his children. And so we have this assurance that when we are striving to grow in our relationship with Christ, that we are in God's will. God's will is not a matter of just like, should I do this or this? If I am diligently pursuing and growing in my relationship with Christ, I am going to be in God's will whether I take this job or this job. God wants us to know that he loves us. God wants us to know that he is faithful in our lives. And so he is more concerned about us knowing him than us working for him. And so this is what we see. And so we can see that, that Christ is is calling us to himself. And then in turning to Christ, we don't need to strive to figure out life. There's going to be a lot of good questions to ask, but we can answer those questions. God wants my heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and he will direct your path. So as we are pursuing God, he will make our paths known. So we need to ask this question. Are there any parts of my life where I need to ask God to point me to his son that I can trust more fully in his promises? <clears throat> you see, I went to Bible school, as many of you already know, and following the Lord's calling on my life. And uh, what I found was uh, I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know where I was going to work. Didn't even know if I was going to be successful. I just knew that the Lord wanted me to go to Bible school. That was a, that was a tall order for me. That was a, that was a huge sacrifice for me. 
But what I did know is that God promised to be with me. That God promised that he wouldn't forsake me. And so I wasn't guaranteed success, but I was guaranteed that the Lord would be with me. And so after graduating in May of 2017, I still didn't have a job lined up. And for me, I thought in the back of my head, if I pursue God's will and I'm following what the Lord wants in my life, then I'm going to be successful. Then I'm going to move straight from school, straight to a job, straight to all of these things, and life's going to be great. The thing is, is my perspective, my expectations weren't good. And so I had been candidating with a church in northern Idaho since November of 2016. And uh, this is now almost six months. This is going nowhere. I'm frustrated. I'm preaching out there again in June. And I'm just like, what, are you, what am I doing here? Like, this, is, this is just a waste of my time. <clears throat> and so I had an hour, over an hour drive home in my car. And so I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm angry because my expectations haven't been met. I expected to have a job by now. I'm angry because I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've been seeking godly counsel. And yet, I don't have anything lined up. And I just remember praying in, the, in, my, in, my, in my car. And uh, the door was kind of slightly open. And I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here, God. There wasn't any clarity on whether or not God wanted me there. And nothing was working. And then what I noticed is that through prayer and just through listening to God, recognized that God, I, I was more interested in following God for what I could do rather than who I was. I was more interested in, in figuring out how to do all these cool things rather than know who God was. And I finally had a moment of just like, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are sovereign. I trust that you are in control of my life. I trust that you want good for me. And I also had to recognize that part of following God's will doesn't necessarily mean things are going to be easy. Things are going to be right. And so I had to recognize just in my own heart that God was working in me. And so through this, at the end of this time, I said, okay, God, I trust that you are faithful. I trust that you are working. I trust that what you have for me is good. It wasn't until that evening that God made my next step clear. I got a phone call from a guy about this tall, maybe, a uh, little redhead. And uh, he had a position for me in Yakima. And I, I, I took it. I didn't take this position because this was the most clear option. I didn't take this position because I was throwing out a fleece. I took this position because I had, in my own heart, come to realize that God is faithful. I had come to realize that God is good. And that I had come to realize that God's will is proven when we know who God is and to love God and to trust that he is moving and acting in our lives. So what areas of your life do you need to turn to Christ and to trust in his promises? See, 
Turning to Christ allows us to see we have tremendous victory over sin. That allows us to see that we are able to overcome our fears, our insecurities, our doubts, and see that the Lord has good things for us. As we look throughout the Old Testament, God is commanding his people over and over and over again to remember what God has done. Why are we supposed to remember what God has done? Because in remembering what he has done, we are able to see how he's been faithful in the nation. We are able to see how he has been faithful in our lives. We are able to see how God is moving and acting. And that gives us hope for tomorrow. We can wake up with certainty, knowing that God is with us. We can wake up with certainty knowing that God loves us. We can wake up with hope. And so if you struggle to remember what God's promises are, here are just a few which can be found in Scripture. And they brought comfort to me in my own life. I love this. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Another one. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, 29. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Those are just three of dozens upon dozens of promises that God makes to us that we can hold on to, that we can remember that God is for us. So if you're considering which school to go to, if you're thinking about which job to take, which education is best for your kids, what to do, remember what God has done in your life. For some of us, we found freedom from addiction. For some of us, we found restoration in our brokenness. For some of us, we found healing from impossible situations. For some of us, we found forgiveness from our enemies. We found miracles happen. We found that our lives have been radically transformed by the power of the gospel. And in all of these areas and more, God is faithfully working. So if you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, you don't have a relationship with him, This is what we have been created for, to have a relationship with God. If you're striving to figure out what life is all about, I want to invite you. Place your faith, your hope, and your trust in Christ today. I'd love to talk to you after the service if you have questions about what that looks like. And for some of us, maybe we have a passion to start something new, but maybe we've lacked fear. Maybe we've lacked Or maybe we've had fear. Maybe we've had doubts about not being sure how this is going to work. Know that God has given you this passion, this desire for a reason. Step out in faith. Know that God is with you. Maybe for some of us it's a matter of saying that regardless of the decision that you have, rest in the fact that God is with you. God is for you. Trust and rely on his promises. Regardless of where we are, God is moving and 
enacting in our lives. We are here today because of what God has done in our lives. God is demonstrating his faithfulness. He's proving himself trustworthy in all of our circumstances. All we have to do is trust in him and know him. 